The Unshackled Waves, Episode 95. Broadcasting from Melbourne, Australia, this is The Unshackled Waves with Tim Wills. Brought to you by TheUnshackled.net. Hello everyone, great to have your company. I'm back from Liberty Fest in Brisbane. We'll be discussing that and the other major news with Unshackled contributor Jacob Watts in a moment. But we normally start this show with Right Now, but this will be the final segment of that featured in this podcast as it will be spun out into a short weekday video show so I can keep you informed of the day's news on a regular basis. So for the last time on the Unshackled Waves, this is what is happening right now. The Coalition Party Room this week agreed to dump the clean energy target and instead adopt the National Energy Guarantee, which is a reversal of priorities, as energy companies will now be forced to provide a certain percentage of energy from reliable sources of power, such as coal. It is a sign that Malcolm Turnbull has almost shed his image as a climate change warrior, and it makes you wonder whether he had any convictions on this issue at all. Malcolm Turnbull lost his 21st news poll in a row this week and is now approaching the 30 30 news poll losses he used as justification for challenging Tony Abbott. His job looks safer now, however closer to an election leadership speculation will grow, but the problem is Turnbull is still the preferred uh, Prime Minister and Liberal leader, so it leaves Liberal MPs in a uh, difficult position. What turned into a major news story this week is uh, Lisa Wilkinson, who had been the co-host of the Today Show, abruptly quitting Channel 9 and signing a new deal to be a host on the project on Network 10. Uh, News reporting of this suggested Wilkinson quit because she demanded the same salary as her Today co-host, Carl Stefanovic. This, of course, has again had the feminists raging about the supposed gender wage gap. It is quite ironic that they chose Lisa Wilkinson, who was already earning a million dollars a year as their poster girl for equal pay. Victoria's proposed euthanasia legislation has passed the lower house of the state parliament, 47 to 37 votes. It will now go before the upper house, and no one is confident in predicting an outcome there either. The voters pitted the Premier Daniel Andrews against his deputy James Molino. Former Labor Prime Minister Paul Keating also made a last-minute intervention to plead with his Labor colleagues not to pass the euthanasia law. Hillary Clinton gave her only Australian interview to Sarah Ferguson on ABC's Four Corners. The interview was a disgrace on both sides. Hillary Clinton still blamed the Russians, WikiLeaks and James Comey for her loss. Uh, Sarah Ferguson's questions, on the other hand, did not press Clinton on her own failings and controversies, such as the Clinton Foundation and covering up of her husband's sexual assault allegations, and instead asked her about her feelings about losing. The Turnbull government's proposed citizenship changes were rejected by the Senate this week, which would have extended the wait uh, for permanent residents to become Australian citizens from one to four years and had prospective citizens sit an English language test and an Australian values test. Immigration Minister Peter Dutton is determined to put the changes to Parliament again. Leader of the New Zealand First Party, Winston Peters, stunned the nation and many over here in Australia by using his balance of power to back Jacinta Ardern to be Prime Minister with a coalition of Labour and the Greens. 
Peter's made this decision nearly a month after the election, dragging out the negotiations for as long as possible. Many of those who voted for him see this as a betrayal, as how can a nationalist party go into coalition with two now far-left parties, which involved uh, abandoning key election commitments from Peter's, such as a referendum on abolishing Maori seats. Another European election occurred this week in Austria with their legislative elections with the right-wing Austrian People's Party candidate 31-year-old Sebastian Kurz set to become that uh, nation's chancellor. It is another victory for nationalists in Europe and will send shivers down the spine of the European elites. As a result, this will harden Austrian opposition to accommodating mass migration and cooperation with the European Union. This is the Unshackled Waves Review Show. Jacob, welcome back to the show. Yeah, um, great to be back, Tim. Uh, it's an interesting week once again. Um, the government's here to save us uh, from enormous power bills, which I'm glad, you know, everything the government touches turns to gold. So I'm sure that um, it'll be an interesting uh, show, definitely talking about energy policy, uh, the Wilkinson's move to Channel 10, uh, Clinton's, uh, you know, atrocious, atrociously hilarious uh, interview on Four Corners, um, and obviously uh, the Freedom or the Liberty Fest up in Brisbane. So there's plenty to talk about this week, and I'm certainly excited to get into it. Well, we saw an actual policy proposed this week on energy. It's been ta talking about for months about uh, energy reliability, uh, reducing power bills, but we saw the coalition party room this week uh, dump the proposed clean energy target, which was a recommendation of the Finkel Climate Review, and their new policy is called the National Energy Guarantee, or should I, uh, for short, we, we'll call it the NEG. Well, well, certainly any government interference within the economy, I don't like. Okay, I like um, consumer choice and, and I like seeing the most efficient and effective um, mechanism to succeed and not the one that the government chooses. I still don't like um, one facet of NEG, which is that, you know, the government stipulates certain percentages of uh, of what uh, what sources to use and what sources, you know, so there's still um, a grand plan or uh, from the government that uh, private enterprise has to follow, and it and it still reminds me of uh, Lenin state capitalism when government says you, you uh, to businesses you you can make money you can do things but you have to do it how we want you to do it and. Uh, I certainly do think that uh, the NEG is, is better than the clean energy target, but certainly government is reluctant to do basic things such as remove GST um, of power. And now I think having the right to, to power um, <laughs> shouldn't be uh, infringed through uh, indirect um, taxation by government. Uh, I think the NEG maybe will reduce power prices slightly, but it, it won't reduce power prices as much as um, being free to choose what energy source is best for you. And I, I certainly always do think it is counterproductive when the government gets involved in the economy and dictates to people 
what sources or what sources of power they can use. Um, I, I still think it's counterproductive any which way uh, you bend or twist it. Uh, the uh, National Energy Guarantee, it's basically a reversal of the renewable energy target, which said a uh, certain percentage of the energy supply has to come from renewable sources. This is saying that a certain percentage of power has to come from uh, reliable sources. So it's basically, it's, you're, you're correct, it's still stipulating that electricity has to come from a certain source. But I think the reason that they've gone down this uh, reversal is because they, they want to counter the you know, energy companies and associated corporations who've you know, made it their uh, mission to you know, virtue signal on climate change. Like, you know, we've talked about it before, AGL with those commercials saying we're, we're getting out of coal. So basically, it's a admission that there's a market failure of some sorts, that these corporations have become too, uh, too absorbed with uh, cl uh, climate change action and they're not actually making you know, the, the best decisions to cater for their customers. I think that um, that analysis is somewhat correct and somewhat incorrect because I think the very nature of the issue was created by government government interference, uh, renewable or clean energy target, as you would call it. Uh, so the, the reason why these corporations uh, have had to adapt uh, is because they, uh, for their you know, very nature of their existence, are suckling up to the teat of government because uh, it has become so hard uh, for a corporation to be financially viable with this uh, constantly changing political landscape of, you know, not knowing when government policy could change to say to make coal or to make gas impossible uh, to utilise to its full potential. Well, we've seen this in Victoria, for instance, now, um, where a lot of uh, gas companies are having a lot of trouble through the fracking. Uh, so it's better for them financially uh, to virtue signal and to suckle up subsidies uh, rather than to fight for what's right. Uh, so in that sense, uh, some weakness uh, from maybe uh, boards of these companies uh, is troublesome, but certainly uh, we can't blame the corporations for the political landscape. It's like... Um, blaming the sheep for having wool. Um, politicians and politics, uh, their, their, their game is inherently uh, selfish and self-fulfilling. Uh, and you can't blame energy companies for politicians wanting to gain cheap votes and manipulate public opinion. One thing I do personally find interesting, though, is that uh, how the language uh, changes on this issue. Uh, so we started with the renewable energy target uh, and then we changed to the clean energy target and now we've got the national energy guarantee. So the, the language here I find that they're using national energy guarantee, guaranteeing power to consumers. I find it to be stronger language than having a focus on renewables but certainly when you look at renewable or you look at clean, uh, the language that's being used in that instance is to frame the very nature of debate. For instance, how could you be against a clean energy target?
when it's promoting clean energy? Or how could you be against safe schools, for instance, when it's promoting safe schools? Um, so they, they use those, those kind of, that kind of meta-language uh, to control debate and conversation. Uh, certainly, uh, certainly with the clean energy target, for instance, um, it's or renewable energy target saying, oh, well, fossil fuels are bad or safe schools. You know, obviously there's a massive problem with homophobia or global warming, global cooling. You know, it, it's just a way of controlling the conversation, uh, putting the conversation on their terms. Uh, and for us, us to win, we need to control the language and to control the culture. Because as Andrew Breitbart once famously said, uh, politics is downstream from culture. And that's very true here. We need a culture of affordability um, and, and of basic equity. Uh, and we certainly don't see that with an ultra focus on, you know, green platitude. But certainly just in conclusion here, it, it is refreshing to see um, that the government is not espousing platitudes, but they're espousing policy. Uh, so I'm, I'm more, um, more happy here because I'm thinking that we're going to see some change because policy creates change, not platitudes. And it's also a reversal of Malcolm Turnbull's uh, position. Remember uh, when he lost the Liberal leadership in 2009, there's that famous uh, quote of his where he says, I will not lead a party that is uh, dedicated to action on climate change uh, as I am. Uh, and he also crossed the floor to support Labor's emissions trading scheme. But Malcolm Turnbull, Prime Minister 2017, he's seeing the most you know, dramatic uh, swing back to traditional energy sources out of uh, any government for the, for the p past 10 years. And it's, it's made me wonder whether Turnbull actually had any convictions on this issue of climate change. Like, did he just have, in 2009, have an error of political judgment where he thought that action on climate change was an electoral winner? And 2017, when we've got, uh, you know, blackouts, high power prices, he's, you know, suddenly realised the, the tide is turning now and adjusted his position. Well, I think that this whole issue is with climate change is not how many um, wind farms you build, but it's how effectively uh, you utilise um, the, the energy grid. So for instance, um, the free market will figure this out, I believe, because their uh, natural interest uh, is to be as efficient as they can. The companies aren't wanting to uh, use any more power than they have to use. Um, so I certainly do think that this problem will figure itself out because uh, all electronic appliances from white goods uh, to televisions are becoming more uh, power efficient uh, just through the nature of the free market. But uh, I think that that, that that is true change. When people talk about environmentalism, uh, I say clean up Australia Day. I don't say, you know, stop, kill the manufacturing industry. Uh, and when people talk about efficiency, I say don't tell, you know, companies how to use their power, um, but do basic things like uh, changing the light bulbs, like Howard did, to, to save energy. Um, but this is, for me, is, is pragmatic uh, change, and it is change that I think will be uh, fortuitous for the nation. Uh, 
Uh, but one also has to look at uh, there's this there's this big uh, misnomer, this big misconception that uh, there's this battle between coal and clean, you know, energy or whatever. Um, some baseload power is quote unquote renewable. For instance, the the um, the, the snowy hydro 2.0, uh, and then one can also basically funnel the the solar and the wind into a into a snowy and uh, and actually put that into into a baseload grid. Um, obviously, I think the marketplace would figure this out for their own financial benefit and the benefit of their shareholders and the natural path of innovation that the market always walks down. Um, but I, I still think that this is government, this is government interference, but it is somewhat less negative government interference than the, the clean or the renewable energy target. I definitely agree that I prefer a free market solution, but often with uh, governments, when there's too much uh, government intervention previously, they always feel the need to overcorrect with more government intervention. I use the example of the work choices, industrial relations legislation. That wasn't actually a free market solution. That was uh, uh, re-regulating the labour market in favour of employers to overcorrect the entrenched power of the union. So uh, it's, it's always the case when these sort of things, when the f we, we would obviously prefer a market uh, solution, but government always proposes what that what they you know believe is is needed and will lead to you know what ultimately we think is the the desired goal, which in this case is renew is uh, more reliable power. Well, more reliable power um, will will come through the market naturally, and I think that this, as you said, that was a great commentary, a great analysis um, that the government is trying to overcorrect a path, uh, and and well. This could be interesting to see whether it is work choices 2.0, how it actually turns out for Turnbull. Because obviously the monopoly of the unions had to be cracked um, through Howard. That was good vision. But he did overstep and it cost him his leadership, uh, cost him his prime ministership. And then it ultimately saw uh, a complete 360 in the Fair Work Commission, uh, which basically... Uh, entrenches that union power into a recognised institution. Uh, so I think that Turnbull is walking a bit of a tightrope and I think that the best solution would be naturally to leave things to the market but in a case of um, you know the, the, the evil that you, you know and the evil that you don't know I think that, that Turnbull has made the right decision. Well, he's, uh, he's lost 21 news polls in a row this week, and of course the uh, justification he gave for uh, getting rid of Tony Abbott as Prime Minister that they'd lost 30 news polls in a row. So he's fast approaching that, and so he realises that he has to do something, and you know, obviously you know, reliable. Although at public opinion, it's still very confused. They they want. Uh, you know, action, still want action on climate change, but they want uh, affordable and reliable power. So it's a bit of mixed messages. But I think, you know, obviously if the lights start to go out, then, you know, the public's going to be demanding, you know, if, uh, I, I want to make sure that, you know, the electricity is reliable uh, and affordable. And I, I, it's, even though Turnbull has taken the right course of action here, can it save his 
is leadership because I just don't see anything that he can do or, you know, stop him from reaching that, um, you know, dreaded 30, 30 news polls. And of course, you know, leadership speculation has, you know, already begun. Uh, well, it's, it's been growing over the, over the past few months, but that sort of discussion is unavoidable. Tim, the simple solution is this. Prime Minister needs to be seen in public dabbing. Uh, he needs to have a rap battle with uh, Ray Hadley on 2GB. Uh, and he just needs to be a douchebag like Bill Shorten. Uh, and then his news poll ratings will uh, go through the roof. Uh, I think that that's the solution to the leadership crisis, the apparent leadership crisis in the Liberal Party. And also we have to be careful not to stir the pot that the mainstream media stirs as well. You know, for all we know that the Liberal Party could be very content, you know, into falling into a, a bottomless uh, abyss of, of misery and election defeat. So I don't think it's healthy to speculate. Oh, well, they are content, uh, to use the expression, to go over a cliff under Turnbull at the moment. I mean, he still has the support of key conservatives, Peter Dutton and uh, Matthias Cormann. Uh, so there is no appetite for, you know, a, a change in leadership at the time, at this time. Uh, but it's also worth pointing out that Turnbull is still preferred Prime Minister and he's also preferred Liberal leader, both with voters at large and... Uh, coalition voters. So Liberal MPs, they basically don't know what to do except, you know, stick with, you know, Turnbull and making sure that, you know, he's putting out, you know, policies that, you know, they can sell and differentiate themselves from Labor. We don't normally talk about uh, pop cultural uh, issues on this show, but there was probably a major one that occurred this week with uh, Lisa Wilkinson, uh, who is co-host of Channel 9's Today Show. Well, she was. She abruptly quit at the beginning of this week, and uh, it was due to a pay dispute, and apparently uh, it was leaked to the media that she demanded the same pay as her co-host, uh, Carl Stefanovic and uh, Channel 9 uh, refused, and so she's left and she's going to uh, Channel 10 now where she's going to uh, work on the project. And, of course, this has reignited the whole uh, gender wage gap uh, theory and as, uh, claiming that oh, this is just another example of uh, wage discrimination, which, uh, of course, the it's been debunked so many times, the, the gender wage gap, that it's because it's, it's an aggregate of, you know, what men and women earn. It doesn't account for the different jobs that they do or the different, you know, life choices which affect their uh, career progression. But it just goes to show you that the left and the, the feminists, they never uh, let an opportunity like this go to waste to push their agenda. Well, uh, yeah, uh, that, that is um, true. But, but Tim, uh, you know, I'd have to dispute that. I really do think that there is an entrenched sexism uh, throughout Australian culture uh, that just puts women down uh, constantly. Um, and, you know, we have to do something about it. And that's why I support hashtag stand with Lisa, uh, you know, purely because, you know, women earn 77 cents on the dollar. Um, you know, they're just discriminated against every which way in society. You I know, mean, they can't become prime minister. They, they can't get more university degrees than men uh, per capita in every field. 
you know, they, they can't actually earn higher wages than men before they're, before they're married, you know. Um, they, they can't actually be higher paying CEOs in the US or they, they can't run uh, for presidential campaigns or be the Prime Minister of Australia or, you know, even be the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom or, or Germany for that matter. Um, they're, they're pretty much uh, trapped in a thousand glass ceilings. Uh, probably the most hilarious thing about this whole thing is that she was only offered $1.8 million per year. And, and it's always the case with these, uh, you know, feminists. They, they always use these, you know, celebrities as an example. Like, oh, they, they you know, didn't get, you know, millions more. I mean, I recall uh, it, was, it was a few years uh, ago when um, the North Koreans, they hacked uh, so, uh, Sony Pictures uh, accounts and it was revealed that uh, Jennifer Lawrence she wasn't as paid as much as a uh, male co-stars on the film uh, American Hustle, and it's like you know how dare you know is she uh, Jennifer Lawrence you know not receive the the millions more than the men do. I mean, it, it, it totally discounts how you know feminists and lefts like care so much about class. Well, you know they they. You know these you know, celebrities, celebrity females. They they deserve to be paid. You know mil millions more. So it so it's a quality. Yeah, uh, it doesn't take into account many things. Um, this gender pay gap. Uh, one of them being that men and women are different. Uh, women are not men, and men are not women. Uh, and there are some you know, uh, biological inclinations that that both men and women have. I think that men have a natural drive to provide for a family and that women have a natural drive to look after a family. Uh, and in a modern society, there's obviously plenty of ways that that can be done and, and the roles can be reversed in some in some ways, like men staying home, for instance. But, but certainly I think that there are natural uh, inclinations of both men and women. For instance, men uh, seem to be, uh, just through every kind of field, more interested in things. For instance, there are more men who are mechanics, there are more men who are engineers, uh, because in the big five trait, they're lower on, uh, I guess, agreeableness, which makes them more, you know, inclined to focus uh, on their own endeavours. Uh, and women tend to be higher in agreeableness on the big five, so therefore they tend to be more people orientated, more wanting to give back to society. And um, I think that that's a fundamental difference that one has to look at. That's why there are more male engineers and that's why there are more female teachers. Uh, and obviously uh, the, the market determines uh, basic wages. Uh, so in a sense that there is a shared blame for the, that apparent gender pay gap in the choice of, of jobs on the hands of, of women like uh, Lisa Wilkinson anyway. So I find this to be a completely incoherent uh, argument uh, that's just full of fallacies from head to toe. Although, I, honestly, I do find it hard to believe that, you know, Karl Stefanovic is, you know, worth more than uh, her. I mean, uh, yeah, Karl is uh, Australia's very own. Karl the Cuck with his, has become, you know, a virtue signaller on, you know, whether it's, you know, Australia Day or, you know, same-sex marriage. Uh, uh, I wrote an article about him a, a while back and a lot of people, you know, agreed, you know, why, why is he, you know, put out at the, as the, as the voice of the people? So, yes, why, why is... 
you know, why for some reason is, you know, Carl Stefanovic worth this much as well? And it's, it's also worth pointing out that it appears to be, I mean, you know, we get lectured by the media about this gender wage gap, where if you look at, say, if you look at, you know, just the, say, the wages of nurses, for example, it doesn't mean, if, it doesn't matter if you're a, ma a male nurse or a female nurse, you get paid the same. There's no gender wage gap there. But it seems with the, in the media itself, there is huge, uh, huge uh, uh, gender wage disparity for the exact same work. So it's once again, uh, do, as I, uh, do as I say, not as I do. Yeah, it is, it is a complete irony. Um, yeah, and, and, and we, we could, it just, basically, I think we've gotten to the stage with this cultural relativism and this Marxism that um, some people are more equal than others. Uh, and I think that, you know, that that certainly runs through for the modern-day female. I think that she uh, definitely has... Um, I don't want to get into this whole... Uh, it's almost a form of identity politics, but certainly across many facets, women have more opportunity than men. I don't think there is an ingrained sexist culture in Australia anymore, maybe in the 1970s, but certainly I think women are given uh, equal opportunity, but we are seeing uh, crap, quite frankly, like the battle of the sexes being turned into a movie, um, and this whole Wilkinson uh, thing, and I think that she might go on about this imaginary gender pay gap that quite frankly doesn't exist for the reasons that we outlined before. If it did exist, I would be uh, the, the foremost opponent of it. But unfortunately, through the facts that I can see, I, I can't see any evidence of a, of a gender pay gap, but yes, a career pay gap. Um, and I, I do find the irony that you pointed out to be rather hilarious. And it's also worth pointing out that, yeah, that her move to Network 10, it actually might make her the highest paid uh, TV star in the country. So, you know, everyone's saying about, you know, poor Lisa Wilkinson, like in reality, she's actually laughing all the way to the bank with her, with her extra new uh, money. And the, and the funny thing, hey, just mention this uh, before we wrap up here, that, that Carrie... Big more, you see. I I don't watch any of this trash hmm. anymore. I think that's her name. She did the um the the hair dye commercials. She um was complaining when um what's her face Wilkinson went to to um ten. Uh, she was quite unquote pissed off that she was earning four times more than her. So it's funny to see that the left are eating their own hair. That uh that this internal uh, well I guess you uh, some media outlets have uh. Uh, mania or something like that, mania, or described it as a as a cat fight, uh, and I, f I found that quite funny. Hillary Clinton was back again this week. Uh, of course, she's promoting her new book, uh, what, uh, what Happened, and this week she appeared on an Australian TV screen. She did, uh, as uh, Four Corners on the ABC called it, an exclusive Australian interview with her. The host of Four Corners, Sarah Ferguson, sat down for a full episode with Hillary Clinton and asked her pretty softball questions. I, I mean, it was more just... Sarah asking, you know, how do you feel about this? Or did you feel you let people down? Or, you know, what could you have done differently? And of course, Hillary Clinton, again, you know, conceding that 
nothing was her fault. It was all uh, James Comey, WikiLeaks, and the Russians that, that caused her to lose. Yeah, well, it was interesting to um, hear um, Mrs. Clinton uh, talk this week. It's always very insightful to, to hear Hillary. She's a, a very wise and empowered woman. Um, she was also this week um, sticking up, well, no, not really, I, I would say inadvertently showing a bit of irony here because she was, um, you know, saying, uh, I didn't know about Weinstein, I didn't know about Weinstein, Harvey Weinstein, the alleged rapist. Um, and then she uh, stood by her husband, which is, he's also accused of rape, uh, Broadwick and, and so on and so forth. Uh, so I think that she is part of the problem uh, with this whole uh, this whole shock uh, culture uh, and this whole Harvey Weinstein business is cultural. We can see the casting couch on Hollywood, for instance, uh, and then Clinton uh, using her husband essentially to get into a position of power, uh, her, her excusing Hollywood, her having an op open handout to Weinstein's dollars. All these things lose her respect. Uh, and then she says that the reason why she lost the election is because of uh, FBI Director James Comey working against her. No, in fact, Comey was doing a poor job because he, uh, you know, interpreted that there was no, uh, you know, intent to what she was doing when she uh, essentially uh, basically led you know, potentially thousands of documents into the hands of uh, U.S. adversaries, and um, and then she blames Comey, and Comey basically let her off the hook. Comey should have uh, put her on trial. One also has to remember that both Trump uh, and Hillary were both looked into the, by the FBI during that election campaign, which I think says something about both candidates. Um, but claiming the Russians, I found a bit far-fetched. I found that a bit McCarthyist, uh, that there's some outside force, you know, attempting to uproot the first uh, female president because she's a strong and independent woman who's who stood up to Vladimir Putin. I found that a bit far-fetched. I wish I could believe it. You know, I wish I was so brain-dead, but unfortunately, I can't. Um, and, and then as well, why I mentioned Weinstein is because she was going on about saying that a man who was elected to the presidency who was accused of sexual assault uh, was there. And then she was outraged by it. But in fact, she stood by a husband who, uh, for, for all accounts known to us, uh, groped, uh, potentially raped women and had numerous affairs uh, with women. And, and even, and according to Roger Stone, may have even had an, an illegitimate black child. So I think that that's ironic for her to to call out Trump on the grabber by the pussy um, uh, call there to say that that's sexual assault when that when he said they let you so that's consent. Um, we, I still find it awful, reprehensible, and it's a sign of cultural decay. But I, I certainly uh, find that this this whole you know this whole thing with Clinton here 
is not so much a, a personal thing that's allowing her to, to sell these books, but it's a massive cultural flaw that is pumped up by Hollywood and the media elite. She's only doing softball interviews. That's the only interview she she seems to accept. I mean, she wouldn't have done that uh, interview with Sarah Ferguson if she'd asked her, you know, the the tough questions. And and she she was asked about, you know, Bill Clinton's, you know, sexual misconduct. And Hillary just said, oh, you know, they, they were all settled like twenty years ago. And Sarah Ferguson, you know, d didn't push her at, uh, at all. It was it was actually less cringeworthy than uh, Hillary's appearance on the Tonight Show with uh, Jimmy Fallon, where uh, he got his uh, female employees to write thank you notes to Hillary Clinton, and then at the end you had Miley Cyrus come out to write a thank you note. For Hillary Clinton. I mean, the ABC interview was like okay compared to that spectacle. Yeah, well, Clinton did come in like a wrecking ball, certainly looking like one, anyhow. Um, dressed up in her chairman Mao suit and, and just looking splendid. Um, certainly, you know, I think that when some of these, some of these calls, like I, I, I um, will have a go at Trump for having his tie too long or his hair looking ridiculous, but when I have a go at Clinton for wearing a mouse suit um, or whatever, it's that's how somehow sexism. You know, I am probably the biggest feminist because I will critique you know, men and women to the same. But when Clinton calls out that that's sexism when someone talks about a hair, generally it's probably women doing that as well. And probably the same women that are doing that are probably talking about Trump's ridiculous hair as well. Um, she wouldn't obviously have an interview with the esteemed conservative journalist Andrew Bolt. Um, Bolt would probably, you know, um, tear her to bits um, and feed her to the dogs. Uh, so she wouldn't go in there, and the, the ABC was the, probably the only network enough, uh, left enough, sorry, that bleeds red um, and that praises uh, Chairman Mao enough uh, for her to actually go and have an interview in her Mao suit uh, with the ABC. Now, certainly I think that, yeah, it was, one last thing, it's just all about selling her book uh, and the best thing for the Democratic Party to do is to basically uh, shove her aside somewhere, you know, give her some kind of charity role, keep her out of the limelight, um, because she will be the biggest facet in getting Donald Trump re-elected in 2020. And that certainly doesn't help for, you know, people wonder why the ABC, we think the ABC is biased or when they do, do an interview like this. I mean, either, you know, interview her properly, you know, ask her the tough questions, push her on it, or just not do the inter interview at all. I mean, if it's going to be a soft interview as it, as it was, basically, you know, Sarah Ferguson going along with, you know, Hillary's interpretation of, you know, what went on and saying, you know, oh, how terrible do you feel? I mean, you know, there, there's nothing groundbreaking about that. I mean, uh, we, we can see that uh, on any other media appearance she does. So, yeah, I, I think the, the ABC, they really waste you know wasted their time with the, with this interview and so and certainly uh, i think it's another wasted reason 
Yes, because I've, well, we don't know whether the interview took took place. It would have taken place in the United States because I don't because if Hillary Clinton was coming to Australia, we would have heard about it. So yes, uh, Sarah Ferguson, she got a oh, would it be a business class ticket to um, New York to to go and interview Hillary? Yeah, I believe a business class is. My understanding is about what is it, eight thousand, twelve thousand, probably about twelve thousand dollars a flight. Uh, one way, probably about twenty, probably it ended up being about twenty-four thousand dollars in the flight, and then probably about probably another. It's probably cost probably about forty. I could say and twenty thousand for the flight. Okay, then softball, and then two thousand for the accommodation. Uh, and, and the entourage, um, and then another, you know, five thousand for the for the camera crew for the day. Now, now we're already accruing, you know, about, you know, a good twenty six, twenty seven thousand, and then Hillary's fees might be um, ten thousand. So, hypothetically, from just assumption, this could have cost upwards of thirty, thirty, or forty thousand dollars at least on the taxpayer. Now. I'd assume it could probably cost upwards of sixty or seventy thousand dollars, but I was just trying to do justice to the ABC there in my assumptions. But obviously, that flight to New York, how does that actually inform the taxpayer that pays for the ABC? All it does is espouses Clinton's ridiculous narrative of Russian interference, election hacking, and Julian Assange, who's got a big problem with her for basically being a corrupt politician. And now I say thank God for Julian Assange for, you know, tearing apart her ilk and lies through WikiLeaks. Now most of you would know uh, The Unshackled was a sponsor of the inaugural Liberty Fest conference in uh, Brisbane uh, this past weekend on Saturday uh, the 14th of October. Uh, we managed to uh, have some interviews there. We caught up with uh, Andrew Cooper who's president of Liberty Works and uh, organiser of the conference. We also had a catch up with uh, Mark Latham and then we were also uh, able to uh, have a sit-down interview with uh, Callum Thwaites and Tony Morris QC from the uh, QUT 18C case. So you can see uh, all those interviews, they've been uploaded now. But yes, it was a, uh, I very much enjoyed it because uh, as the sponsor, we were an eximeter um, in the in the break room so we met some fans of the unshackled in first person that was uh very pleasing people come up to say you know really admire your work we also you know spread the word uh to uh, new new people who who hadn't heard of us, and we also caught up with some uh, fellow alternative media figures. So I, I caught up with uh, James Fox Higgins from the Rational Rise, and also uh, Independent Man, who's a another YouTuber. And also I met uh, Dave Palau from uh, Church and State, who was also doing interviews there. So yeah, it was a, it was a very good conference, and uh, yeah, of course the speakers that, uh, themselves was was good. I mean, the, probably the big themes were. Uh, obviously, free speech. Uh, you know how to fight back against identity politics. The you know fraud of um, climate change and uh, and also probably the excesses of of big government. So I very much enjoyed um, all all of the speeches. It was it was a very put together uh, conference by our friends at at Liberty Works. Yeah, well, that's it's very good to hear. Um... Certainly, uh, just just a few questions. I, I wasn't at the conference, uh, Tim, unfortunately. Um, 
so you met with uh, Dave of Church and State. Now he is he's a member of the religious right, and um, you might have some differences with Dave. But what what kind of um, ethos did did you uh, garner that 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 Dave was uh, putting across uh, through his work at Church and State? And do you think that it's a pro liberty movement? Oh, well, Dave, obviously he. Uh, I believe he, you know, comes down on the side that, you know, that, uh, you know, power should reside in the, you know, individually is big on uh, religious liberty and that, you know, the, the church should play, you know, a prominent role in uh, society. I definitely think he's one of the, um, uh, the uh, more freedom-loving, um, you know, religious people because obviously there's, you know, big government uh, religious people, which you know are as bad as the left uh, a, lo a lot of the time, but yeah, I, I certainly still believe um, he was described as a you know rival to us. I don't see us as rivals because the the Unshackled is a as it is a secular um, a publication, and so obviously you know uh, we take a lot of you know our beliefs from you know Christian you know values. It's it's not that doesn't define uh, you know how how we approach the news. But certainly, we can we can probably acknowledge that libertarianism, as, as Jeremy Higgins said on on Kangaroo on his interview there, um, that what that lacks is made up for, I guess, through through a Christian worldview of you know of general egalitarianism and doing unto your neighbour as unto you, you'd want to do as to yourself. So, d did you kind of see that that Higgins, uh, Jamie Higgins, and maybe Dave? Uh, Bilal have had a few things in common there in that in the in the uh, in the in the facet that and then the actual um, thing that they wanted um, a society that had a small government but they wanted some kind of overriding principle of of faith and community would, would you say that that's um, something that you picked up from from them yeah and yeah, religion is definitely compatible with uh, with liberty. I mean, you just have to look at you know John Locke. He was religious. The um, you know the, the the founding fathers. Let's not forget the Declaration of in uh, of Independence, which which said that men are endowed by their Creator with uh, inalienable rights. So yes, I I definitely think that's an important uh, facet of liberty. You don't need to be religious to believe in uh, liberty, but uh, of course, it's it's influenced the uh, the principles of liberty. Yeah, certainly, and uh, not not to make this into a religious diatribe, but certainly, I do think that uh, religion can be a safeguard of liberty uh, in the respect that, in some circumstances, it can limit the power of of state through welfare and um, you know power to you know to determine, you know, moralistic viewpoints and people can choose their own faith and their own religion and even in the preamble to our constitution it recognises that, that we have a that we have a God and I certainly can see that in, in the liberty movement that there is a section that is not the hard right Fred Nile big government but is is compatible with libertarianism and, and I was interested in that so I just wanted to ask you about that and with uh, Talking with Callum Thwaites here, um, what what did you garner from the Thwaites experience that that you didn't uh, get from the Friedman 
conference uh, and and in terms of free speech how did you feel that that the story of, of Callum uh, is so relevant to us all? Uh, I was at, at Liberty Fest was different because um, uh, the the lawyer who uh, represented him uh, Tony Morris QC he was uh, present as well well which was it was great to interview them together and like talk about the the experience they had uh, together. So I was able to, you know, learn more from Callum about um, his experience. I mean, what it was going, you know, to, you know, be publicly accused of, you know, being a racist is one of the, you know, worst things that can be leveled at you. Uh, I've definitely got a more insight into, you know, just what the experience was like to him. And also because he does a lot of speaking engagements now. Um, I mean, he uh, speaks a lot of, you know, right, right, events about his experience so it was it was good to learn from him now sort of his uh, I guess he came into this involuntarily but he's become a a freedom uh, warrior uh, which he's really turned this experience into uh, a positive and he's still trying to find out from the the Human Rights Commission with the assistance of Tony Morris how their complaint was handled so he, he's he's definitely you know still determined to you know fix you know what is wrong with you know 18c and uh, the Human Rights Commission and definitely uh, it, it had a you know, horrific toll on Callum, but because of what he went through and the other QUT students, is that a complaint like that will will never happen again. I mean, you know, they, these you know three students won't potentially have their you know life ruined because you know someone was so easily offended. Yeah, and 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 just a gentle segue. Um, we, we talk about the outrage culture, the outrage industry, and we were talking about the religious elements of the liberty movement, but we've also got a, a fusion of secularist thinkers like Mark Latham and an independent man. What did you uh, gather from talking to Mark, an independent man, about the prevalence of the outrage industry uh, and the, the scourge of cultural Marxism within Australian society? Yeah, oh, Mark is obviously that's his main concern these days. With you know these you know elites, uh, you know academics, you know people in government departments, you know to have you know tell, telling us you know this is the you know worldview we're now we're now you know all forced to uh, adopt, and you know where uh, we've got uh, we're in the you know oppression Olympics as well. You know we've got to accept that you know all these other groups are you know persecuted, and that's the you know evil evil white man is is bad. So yeah, they definitely do a good job at you know deconstructing you know this worldview that the, the the left is trying to foist on us uh, and it's certainly an imp important role uh, I would say that you know Mark, Mark Latham is, uh, is a lot more blunt when uh, uh, criticizing it well I'd say that independent man is a uh, tries to do it in a bit more philo philosophical manner but they're, they're both very very effective at it and uh, definitely uh, fighting the good fight on this so just just to wrap up uh, Two questions in one. What what was uh, what would you say that Andrew Cooper's um, involvement in the liberty scene in, in Australia is uh, in, in organising uh, and getting people together? And the the other question is, uh, would you recommend um, Liberty Fest and uh, the Friedman Conference to to our viewers and listeners? <laughs> 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's great to meet like-minded people in person and uh, not just, you know, discuss, you know, where you agree, but, you know, maybe how you can make a difference as well. As I always say, it's all very, very well, you know, commenting on Facebook, you know, pressing the, the like button, but it's in real life when the, the activism happens and going to one of these events, it's the, it's the first step forward. Yeah, um, certainly. Uh, I, I found the Unshackled at the Friedman Conference about six six months ago now, and and I certainly would recommend you all to to go out to uh, these conferences uh, to meet freedom loving individuals uh, and and certainly make a positive change because uh, platitudes uh, are the same as virtue signalling in a way, saying you hate PC culture is virtue signalling as much as PC culture itself virtue signals. So I think, yeah, on that note, it's probably a good good time to wrap up, Tim. Yep. Uh, it was interesting. It's always interesting to be uh, interviewed rather than always be the interviewer. So, so thank you, Jacob, for your questions. Yeah, and, and certainly that's that's a sign that we are, we are going up and up. and. Certainly, the, the only way to, to actually expand uh, this John Stuart Mill free market of ideas uh, and this kind of this liberty uh, movement itself is to encourage people to share uh, the Unshackled uh, articles, uh, to share this podcast and to share our page and not only to do that, but to talk to friends and family over the dinner table about the the, the tyranny of government, um, the big state, cultural Marxism, and how this is all ruining our Australian identity. So certainly the point that you raised was great. Going to a conference is one step, but making a change is another. Um, and I, I certainly think that in, through a process of making a change, uh, certainly liking, sharing, uh, all unshackled material that that you fancy is away, and and I'd I'd like to to thank you all again for watching this week, and uh, just a reminder that we do have a Patreon. So if you are uh, grateful of the work that we're doing, our our message that we're spreading of of liberty and of and of justice um, for for the taxpayer, then I, I would encourage you to. Uh, to contribute to our Patreon and we would be very, very grateful for such a contribution. All right, everybody, that's the show for today. As we discussed, uh, please watch our Liberty Fest videos, which I'll leave a link to them in the show notes page. We haven't got an event coming up for a while now, but rest assured, we'll be keeping pretty busy. Thanks once again for your company and we'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in to The Unshackled Waves. Please visit theunshackledwaves.net for all the ways to subscribe and follow the show. Don't forget to pick up your free ebook at theunshackledbattlefield.net and keep checking out theunshackled.net for all the latest news and commentary.